Is this thing on? Uh, yeah, that's what the red light means. But you need to wait for the music like we just discussed. So we're live, we're recording right this second? Yeah, but wait for the music. Here we are, and welcome to the pilot episode of EB Medicine's Emergency Medicine Practice Monthly Podcast Corollary, or more simply, Amplify. In response to popular demand, the editors at EB Medicine set out to take their evidence-based review to podcast. In the next 10 to 15 minutes, we're going to meticulously extract all of the high-yield take-home points from this month's issue and still leave you with enough time to get a cup of coffee before your next shift. Can't argue with a little bit of coffee before the shift. In this month's episode, we will tackle transient global amnesia, or TGA. But before we get into the nitty-gritty, we do have one disclosure. All of the work for this episode was done by other people, and we would be remiss to not acknowledge this issue's authors, Dr. Jeremy Faust of Brigham and Women's and Dr. Andrea Nemes of New York Presbyterian, as well as their two peer reviewers, Dr. Galuma of UCSD and Dr. Huff of UVA. With that, let's begin. Jeff, what is TGA? TGA is a clinical syndrome marked by the acute onset of profound anterograde amnesia lasting up to 24 hours in the absence of other neurologic deficits or changes in their alertness and cognition. There are several exclusion criteria, head trauma within the last 72 hours, a known history of epilepsy, known psychiatric disorders, and the presence of any other neurologic deficit. That last part of the definition is key. Let me emphasize it again. The exclusion criteria include the absence of other neurologic deficits or changes in alertness and cognition. Premature diagnostic closure of a potential case of TGA could cause tremendous morbidity and mortality. I suppose this is a good time for the first plug for a complete and thorough neuro exam, as well as multiple repeated neuro exams over time. Although this is definitely true for all conditions, it cannot be stressed enough when it comes to intracranial pathology. Absolutely. You will definitely need to do your neuro exam more than once during the ED stay. Jeff, how long do TGA episodes typically last? So the mean duration of symptoms is typically cited as four to six hours, with most resolving completely and spontaneously within eight hours. By definition, an event cannot last longer than 24 hours. That's right. The classic TGA patient is a functional individual brought in by their family for asking repetitive questions. Less than 10% occur in those less than 50 years old, and the mean age of presentation is 65. It's a relatively rare condition, and TGA has an incidence of 5.2 per 100,000 patients per year. While anyone can suffer from a TGA, there are several known risk factors. The biggest risk factor is a history of a past TGA. The yearly recurrence rate has been found to be surprisingly high, estimated at 2.5 to 5.8%, which represents almost a thousand-fold increase over the general population. Advanced age and a history of migraines are the only two other known risk factors. Jeff, I would have thought that prior vascular disease would have also been a risk factor, but surprisingly it isn't. I guess this speaks to different pathophysiologic mechanism than stroke? Yeah, that's sort of true, but we don't really know the exact mechanism which causes TGA. In one theory, TGA is a manifestation of short-lived, reversible ischemia resulting from temporary intracranial venous stasis surrounding the hippocampus. Another theory, the theory of arterial insufficiency, has also been proposed, but similarly hasn't been proven. There are also proposed non-vascular mechanisms. In one such theory, TGA is thought to be caused by spreading cortical depression following hyperstimulation triggering memory loss. This theory is supported by the fact that severe emotional stress, intense physical effort, sexual activity, recreational substance use, and rapid changes in temperature have all been described as inciting factors. You might also think that TGA may be a form of non-convulsive epilepsy. One study demonstrated that 7% of TGA sufferers developed epilepsy within one year. Other studies have shown no increase from baseline. All right, since you just basically admitted we know nothing about the pathophysiology, let's move away from theory and onto clinically useful information like the differential and how to work patients up. Good idea. So assuming you've done the most thorough neurologic exam of your life and then repeated it to be certain you've missed nothing and therefore excluded other more deadly conditions like hemorrhage, ischemic stroke, and meningitis, you should consider the 10 TGA mimics, which are seizure, atypical migraine, head injury, and subsequent concussive syndrome, 
medication or recreational drug side effect, herpetic encephalitis, early neurosyphilis, HIV dementia, alcoholic psychosis, alcohol blackout, and rarely stroke. That's quite the impressive list. Can you run it back more slowly this time? Sure. It was seizure, atypical migraine, head injury, medication or recreational drug side effect, herpetic encephalitis, early neurosyphilis, HIV dementia, alcoholic psychosis, alcohol blackout, and rare stroke syndromes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on for a second. I thought I heard you say stroke the first time, but I'm sure you said it the second time. You need to flesh this out for me. I thought the whole point of the detailed history and physical was to exclude stroke. Great catch. Whereas most CVAs present with more symptoms than just amnesia, there are indeed exceptionally rare stroke syndromes that do present exactly like TGA. Importantly, none of these stroke syndromes present with NIH stroke scale findings that would necessitate immediate guideline-driven intervention. Hmm, that's interesting. Before moving on to the workup, let me give a quick shout out to a few drugs, both legal and illegal, that can cause TGA mimics. One of the most commonly implicated is everyone's favorite sleeping agent, the GABA agonist, Zolpidem. On the illegal end of the spectrum, there are several case reports documenting TGA-like syndromes after marijuana intoxication. And you left out arguably the most important drug when considering TGA mimics. And what would that be? Alcohol, both in the acute and chronic setting. Chronic alcohol use can lead to Korsakoff syndrome. However, this usually is accompanied by other neuro and cognitive changes. Acute alcohol intoxication can also lead to a, quote, alcohol blackout, which can cause anterograde amnesia. Such a presentation might be easily distinguished from potential cases of TGA by the patient's obvious profound intoxication. That's a great point. Let's move on to the workup from the pre-hospital to ED testing and finally ED disposition. The pre-hospital phase for the suspected TGA workup is all about information gathering. EMS personnel must elicit as much history as possible and even prioritize transporting friends, family, or witnesses to the ED. It's also crucially EMS bring any medications they find on scene. For the pre-hospital exam, the EMS providers must prioritize performing their validated stroke scale, such as Cincinnati, LAMS, RACE, etc. If credentialed to do so, a finger stick glucose should also be obtained as soon as possible. And once in the ED, it is the job of the ED physician to recognize the eight diagnostic features of TGA, which are, number one, anterograde amnesia, two, witnessed at onset and during episode, three, no focal neurosymptoms during or after the episode, four, no epileptic features, five, no clouding of consciousness, loss of identity, or cognitive impairment, six, no head injury within the past 72 hours, seven, no seizures within the last two years or concurrent use of anti-epileptics. And finally, number eight, all symptoms must resolve within 24 hours. That last feature, complete resolution within 24 hours, raises an interesting point. One can only suspect TGA and cannot accurately diagnose it until the symptoms have completely resolved. Exactly. I think it's also important to note that the second feature, witness at onset and during the episode, requires lots of help from family and even bystanders. In the absence of a witness at onset, an extensive and broader ED workup is certainly warranted. There are also certain historical features of TGA that may help lead you to the diagnosis. As mentioned before, a history of TGA in the past is the greatest risk factor for future events. In addition, don't forget to ask what the patient was doing prior to onset, as there are certain well-documented triggers. Some of those triggers include strong emotions, intense physical exertion, changes in posture, medical procedures, high altitude, contact with water, and changes in body temperature. There's really only one red flag sign you need to be aware of. Repeated TGA events should raise your suspicion for an undiagnosed neurologic condition such as a seizure disorder. All right, that's enough about history for now. Let's move on to the physical. The first task is to confirm that the patient is indeed having anterograde as opposed to retrograde amnesia and to test cognition. In a TGA event, patients maintain their immediate recall. 
That is, they're able to remember three words and immediately repeat them back, but lose their delayed recall, i.e. their ability to repeat the same words after five minutes. Patients with TGA also retain their executive function and should be able to recite the serial sevens. Although typically not practical in the ED setting, testing alexia, anomia, and apraxia, that's clock drawing, may be useful as these are seen in rare stroke syndromes and not in TGA events. And moving on to diagnostic studies, in those patients with entirely witnessed TGA events without concurrent physical signs or symptoms and normal vital signs, the differential and diagnostic testing should be limited. In fact, in those with convincing stories, management may be limited to serial examination, observation, and patient family education until the symptoms resolve. And this is another good time for a plug for the repeat and thorough neuro exam. If the symptoms are changing and the clinical picture is at all clouded, one must be ready to expand their differential and pursue other diagnoses. As far as basic labs go, in most cases, foregoing blood or urine testing as well as toxicology studies may be appropriate. In chronic alcoholics, checking a thiamine level may be reasonable and useful. While not checking labs seems like a reasonable and a conservative approach in theory, I'm guessing that most clinicians would check basic labs even though it's very unlikely to change management. Similarly, no specific cardiac or vascular testing is necessary. However, any reported unusual history such as syncope, dizziness, severe headache, chest pain, back pain, or pallor should prompt a further investigation. What about imaging? Is imaging required for the diagnosis of TGI? Well, just like laboratory cardiac and vascular testing, no specific imaging is required for the diagnosis of TGA. So which patients should get imaged? In a patient with unwitnessed onset or with unusual features, imaging to rule out trauma or CVA is definitely warranted. If you were to pursue specific imaging, an MRI with and without contrast with diffusion-weighted imaging is the most likely to yield useful information. However, even its use has not been consistently demonstrated. Now that we've established that no labs are necessary, no cardiac and vascular testing is necessary, and that no imaging is necessary, I'm going to guess that an EEG also isn't necessary. Nailed it. Of course, any seizure-like activity or repeated short TGA-like events might prompt the need for an EEG, but a TGA event per se does not require an EEG. Studies have documented EEG findings such as spike in sharp waves with a left-sided predominance. However, no diagnostic utility or significance has been established. And going back to treatment, the mainstay of TGA management is observation and serial neuro exams until the symptoms have resolved. Do not forget to reassure and educate the patient and family as this is likely to be a very, very scary event. All right, so this month's issue closes with a few special considerations. The first issue is of decisional capacity. Unlike acutely altered patients, patients with TGA may appear to have normal alertness, but their inability to remember or contextualize new information renders them without decisional capacity. Therefore, patients with TGA cannot be discharged against medical advice. The second special consideration are the, quote, at-risk subgroups. Although not clearly defined in the literature, Dr. Faust and Dr. Nemes outlined three groups of people who warrant further testing. The first group are those less than 50, as fewer than 10% of TGA sufferers are less than 50 years old. The second group are individuals at risk for encephalitis, especially with HSV, such as those that are immunocompromised or substance abusers. The last group are chronic alcohol abusers or patients with chronic malabsorptive syndromes in whom Korsakoff syndrome must be considered and IV thiamine may be administered empirically. And finally, let's close out with ED disposition. While a formal neuroconsult is not necessary, one may be desired in prolonged cases and in high-risk patients. What is required, however, is observation until all symptoms have resolved, which may be up to 24 hours. This can be done in either the ED, an observation unit, or the inpatient setting. Once the patient is able to form new memories, they may be discharged with primary care or neuro follow-up within 7 to 10 days. So, in summary, in a patient who presents with acute anterograde amnesia, the ED clinician's first priority is to rule out other dangerous conditions by addressing concurrent symptoms and risks through a detailed history and physical. 
In an otherwise asymptomatic witness TGA event, no labs or imaging are necessary for the diagnosis, and the patient may be discharged once all symptoms have spontaneously resolved. That concludes the pilot episode of Amplify. Please send us any and all feedback to ebm at ebmedicine.net. Again, that's ebm at ebmedicine.net to help us improve our product. See you guys next time. Cue the music. We're out. We're out.